0: we know when we're rich? Is it the clothes we buy or the places we go on vacation? Or is it having the latest version of a smartphone? Or maybe it's not what we can buy, but maybe it's how much we can afford to give away. So is it how much we have or how much we can give or neither? That's today on the podcast. it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening in to our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you, and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. Defining the feeling of being rich is a bit of a moving target. Everyone at every income level feels like they don't have enough compared to someone else above them. But Is there an actual amount of money that you need in your pocket to qualify as rich? And is the feeling of being rich dependent on how much we receive or how much we can afford to give? This week, Pastor Jason explores what the Bible says about all this and how living open-handed at any level can make you feel like the richest person on earth. Let's check it out right now.
1: That was from our Be Rich campaign last year when we blessed Habcor with a surprise check for $11,000. And one thing I love about this program, so this Be Rich campaign comes to us, it was first done by North Point Community Church, Andy Stanley's churches, and now churches all over the country have adopted the Be Rich campaign And uh, because of that, because we really believe that we can make a difference. And... I love that this is an opportunity for the pastor to talk about our relationship with faith and money without asking you to give it to the church. We're asking that it's going to come in and we're going to send it right back out. And the reason why I love that is because I always thought is a little bit self-serving when, when preachers or churches are like, money is evil, better give it to us. <laughs> Remember, money is not evil. It can be the root of all evil, but it is not inherently evil. That money is a ministry tool. Every ministry that ever existed, including in the time right after Jesus' resurrection, has always needed funding in order to get where it needs to go, to move the needle on what God wants to do in a particular community. Same thing with us. Uh, Before I do that, I neglected to mention that because it is a first uh, communion Sunday, first Sunday of the month, is that after our worship service today, if you came in here and you felt like you needed somebody to pray with you, we have our care team here today. So they're going to be set up in each corner of the sanctuary after the service. We're going to keep the, the shades down, kind of keep the lights low. and want to encourage you, if you feel like you just need someone to pray with you, please take us up on it. They'll be here after the service. Well, talking about money is, it's a little scary because money is not emotionally neutral, is it? right? Money makes us feel a certain kind of way. Uh, I remember when I was growing up, my parents were honestly, I mean, horrible examples of money. And in a lot of ways, my view of money now, I'm still sorting through that baggage that came with me when I was young. So for example, you know, my parents, they were always fighting about money. And my mother was never honest to my father about money. Everything she ever bought was on sale, it's amazing. It was like a miracle of God. Everything. She ever... In fact, when they were separated, he was ge- genuinely shocked at how much everything cost. <laughs> so he just had no idea. Uh, credit, you know, they, they struggled with, with a lot of debt. Um, there were a lot of reasons for that. My dad lost his job. And, uh, but uh, when I got my first credit card at age 18, you know, they set up right there at the college post office ready to grab you. Uh, by the way, I have nothing but love for all of our credit card folks here who work for financial companies that do credit cards. I love you so much anyway the, the i 'm not hating on you, uh, so I got my first credit card, and my parents maxed it out and didn 't have the money to pay it back. We had some issues uh, growing up, certainly um, there was a lot of turmoil in our house and yeah, you know, I've I've told this story before, where we uh, a church kind of adopted us, and uh, everybody was giving us their free Shoprite turkeys, and uh, we were really thankful. But man, there's only so many turkeys you can eat, you know. Like, well, we th- we're we thankful. Don't get me wrong, but like after the fourth turkey, you're like, uh, okay, whew, let's do this again. Uh, but money was always a challenge, and honestly. I've got a lot of emotional baggage around money, and I know that it has to do with the fact that when we talk about money, we're not really just talking about money. We're talking about status, we're talking about legacy, we're talking about security, we're talking about entertainment, we're talking about success, we're talking about identity. We're talking about a lot more than just money. And I think there is a reason, it's almost like Jesus knew what he was doing when he taught about money more than any other subject. That's a nice little fun fact. More than he talked about salvation, love, anything else, he talked about money. Because he knew the grip that it can have on our lives. Because when you're anxious about money all the time, you don't really live your life, you're too busy thinking. About money. And here's the issue. No matter how rich. Or excuse me. No matter how much money you make. Most of us don't feel rich. Right? We don't feel like we're rich. Some of you do. And you know there are some people. Who, who go to this church. Who ha- have a lot of means. And they strike me as people. Who know how to do it. In a faithful way. Feel like the Lord's blessed them. They're very generous. They are doing a lot to make a difference. They're very humble. Most of their gifts they do anonymously. I mean, I feel like there are a lot of people in that category. But if you're anything like me, you don't always feel rich. Because you think, well, I'm not rich. I know somebody who's rich, but it's not me. And so we look at 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verse 17, the very beginning. It says, command those who are rich in this present world. And we're like, okay, I could tune out of this scripture. Because that's not me. Okay, rich people, listen up. And there's always that part of you that's like, yeah. Yeah, man, rich people. Straighten them out. <laughs> command those who are rich in this present world. But the problem is, is, well, actually, the truth is, if you make $48,000 per year total household income, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. So congratulations, you're rich. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Are you kidding? I thought there'd be more celebration. I'm telling you, you're rich. Yeah. No? No? Yeah. (laughs) Because there's a side effect to wealth. And the first side effect is denial. Rich people live in denial. We don't feel rich, and yet actually, we are. Wealth has side effects. Nobody's rich, but everybody knows someone who's rich. So uh, there was a poll done by Gallup. And it said, most Americans believe that if you make $150,000 salary, you're rich. Okay, so there's, there's that one. But they also polled, if you, they discovered if you make less than $30,000 a year, you view $75,000 as rich. And apparently, if you subscribe to Money Magazine, you believe $5 million a year is rich. Rich is a moving target because it's not about money. It's about how you feel. And you can kind of see there's this, that should be an indicator. Well, wait a minute here. What's what's going on in all of that? And how I view money and what does it have to do with my faith in God? Because here's side effect number two. Rich people are plagued with discontentment. Never satisfied with what we have. Can you remember life before cell phones? Anyone? You know, my kids are never going to know the joy of the payphone. They don't even know what they are, first of all. I try to explain it to them. They're like, what? You put coins? What? They're never going to know the joy of picking up that receiver that looks like it's been through a world war. Or some kind of contagion. And they're never going to know the beauty of doing the collect call trick. That's right, all right. I have a collect call from, hey mom, pick me up. (laughs) Right, you remember that? That's right, the collect call trick. They're never going to know that joy. Or scrounging your car for 35 cents or 25 or 10 cents. Some of you remember 10 cents. And yet today we have this incredible technology in our pockets with us all the time. Cell phones. Cell phones are amazing. And I don't care who you are. At some point, you're going to be persuaded to upgrade that cell phone. You're going to have a cell phone unless, I don't know, anybody still have a flip phone? God bless you. You're going to live longer. You're going to live longer. Right? Some of you have held out. Anybody have the Nokia where you just do snake on it? The little blue one. Remember that one? Anyway. But you're going to be persuaded to upgrade. Why? Because you're going to be shown that you should not be content with the phone that you have. And so when I upgrade, here's what I do. I take my working phone to the store pay them money to leave it there, and bring a working phone home. It's not just phones, it's cars, it's refrigerators, it's... Wow, did you see that new fridge? It tells me when I'm out of milk. It's amazing. Now, I'm not saying that purchasing these things is inherently bad. It's not inherently good or bad, in my view. And I think Scripture bears that out. It's the heart behind it. See, if we're all wrapped up in our stuff, we will never be satisfied. That's one of the side effects of wealth is that we're never satisfied. We're trained not to be satisfied because we got to get that next thing. we got to get that next nicer. we got to go better. And, and the problem with that does is it creates discontentment for what we have. Then we're not thankful. Like, well, I'd be thankful if I had that other house. And then you get the house, and you're like, well, this is Nice. But that house is nicer. You see, it never ends. And then we're not just living our life. We're like reacting to the things that we think we need. Economist Victor Lebo, all the way back in 1955, said this. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life. That we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals. That we seek our spiritual satisfactions and our ego satisfactions... In consumption. I think he called it. It's kind of like our appetites. Oh yes, the bagel. I love bagels. Bagels are so good. But here's the thing. I know, if I'm trying to watch what I eat, which by the way, why is all that stuff so tasty? I'm trying to watch what I eat, trying to drop some weight, trying to be healthy. I know, bagels are not on the list of things I should be eating. And then you go to church, and this phenomenon happens. It happens nowhere else in the world. You get a sixteenth of a bagel. (laughs) Who does that? Where else do you go? They give you a sixteenth of a bagel. You go to the goodie tray, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. Like you really, you can't give me half, a sixteenth of a bagel. Who's going to eat a sixteenth of a bagel? Anyway, but then I think to myself, you know, sixteenth of a bagel, that's not so bad. You know, I can still kind of watch what I eat, have a sixteenth of a bagel. So I go get my little bagel, I spread like a molecule of cream cheese. I Actually, I I throw the cream cheese in the air and I just kind of go like this, just so it's a little teeny taste. Of cream cheese. If I had it in aerosol form, I'd pfft, pfft, the cream cheese on. Because, you know, it's not good for you. Anyway. So I eat the 16th of a bagel. Does that satisfy my craving for bagels? No. What are you, nuts? I go eat 32 16ths. That's not enough. I want more. Because our appetites... Our appetites, if you feed an appetite, it grows. The only way to get rid of an appetite is to starve it. This is true with our clutch that money has on our hearts. Because our appetite for stuff can never fully or finally be satisfied. It will just keep going. It's like a warm bath, right? So you get the new phone, you get the new computer, you get the new car, you get the new house. Get into the new relationship. Whatever it is, it only lasts for a minute. And you're like, well, okay, now what's next that's going to make me happy? And I think that's why God talks so much about money. Because he doesn't want to live like that. He has something much better for us. And that's why I love this first part of Be Rich is to give. That we're giving $39.95 that's going to go out the door to a local mission where it's going to move the needle on what they're doing i love that because it may be a, a way for us to start even just a baby step of letting go of that control that money has on us all right so maybe just maybe we might admit we're willing to take another look at first timothy six seventeen. maybe it might apply to us a little Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. This seems like a no-brainer, but if it were, we'd all be doing it all the time. This is the remedy for the side effects of wealth. Don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God. And why did Jesus talk so much about this? Because he knew That wealth becomes a substitute for God. That my resources can protect me from every eventuality. If something goes wrong, I have my money. And in that way, it's become a substitute. And Jesus addressed this head on. He addressed this head on where he said, You cannot serve both God and money. No one can serve two masters, he says. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't, you gotta keep money in its proper place, which is not in God's place. I think it's important to note, I say this all the time. When I'm giving this message to you, I'm giving it to me too, because I don't care who you are, we all struggle with this stuff. I'm here with you. And I think we have a greater shot of faithfulness when we all are in it together. We encourage each other to break free of some of those things that are holding us back. Money's a big one. So how do you know? Here's a little test. Here's a little thought experiment of how you know whether or not you've made money a substitute for God. Think about this scenario. You wake up one morning and you discover there's no God. Or you wake up one morning and you look at your bank statements and you don't have a single penny. Everything's gone, all zeros. Which one gives you more anxiety? That's how you know. Which, incidentally, what if you were sick and dying? Which one would give you more anxiety? Let's finish verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God just doesn't want to take all the fun out of your life. He wants to richly provide for your life. But in a way that you're not so bound and controlled by it but you're rather freed. Don't put your trust in riches, but trust in the one who richly provides. This is the cure to the side effects of wealth. You know what I think it really comes down to? It comes down to our posture toward money. What do I mean? I mean, this is just like our hearts with God. It's very similar. We're either a clenched fist or an open hand. You see, what I think God wants for us, if anybody, when you've lived a a clenched fist life, no matter what it is, but I think especially money, it's all mine. The assumption is that it's all for my consumption. Your heart kind of does this too. I think they're related. You become closed off. You become self-absorbed. You become a little colder, less generous, and in the end, less joyful. Your life becomes about scraping and hanging on to everything you got or everything you think is owed to you. On the flip side, there's another way to live, another way to live with our money, and that is, hey, God, this is all a blessing from you Anyway. What do you need a friend of mine, um, in a previous life, I was uh, doing music in churches. I was a worship leader. I used to travel around to different parts of the country to speak and to uh, play guitar and sing and do all that. and I was traveling with my guitar, and uh, in this particular flight, the guitar neck snapped in half in flight and Which, by the way, I still have the guitar, which has been glued together. Um, It's the resurrection guitar. But the whole neck snapped off. And uh, I opened my guitar case in the parking lot of the airport and and discovered what had happened. I went back in, and the airline uh, basically said, well, you didn't open it inside the airport. That could have happened at any time after you left. So therefore, we're not covering it. We're not paying you anything. And, you know, I don't know, I'm like a 23-year-old. I'm not going to, like, fight the man over my guitar. I'm just like, whatever. And then a buddy of mine at the place that I was going to to play, he's, you know, he didn't have anything. He was a fellow youth minister, you know. We're all just, like, scraping by with milk crate furniture and, you know, just trying to make it work with frozen pizzas. And But he had a really nice guitar. And he's just like, yeah, use my guitar. I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what I can do. I can't afford to get another guitar. He's like, no, I mean, like, use it. A day, a week, a year. Use it. It's yours. Honestly, that guitar was the nicest possession he had. He's like, no, no, no. It's, it's just stuff. It's, I mean, God gave it to me anyway. Use it. If you're doing God's work with it, just go. Do it as long as you need. That stuck with me. That's open-handed living. You know what happens when you start living open-handed? You start feeling rich. You start feeling as rich as you are, that God's given you everything you'll ever need and more. That we can be satisfied with exactly what we have because we have more than enough and more than we deserve. And don't you see how that kind of living will free you from this weird grind that we're all in, this weird... This weird system where we're sort of enslaved to it. Giving helps us to do that. You see, it's not that God wants something from you. I think God wants something for you so that you can start feeling rich with what you have. So, congratulations! You know, celebrate today, have a party, you're rich. You could afford it but I think now God wants to teach us how to be rich. Amen.